The Letter of Paul to Philemon. Greeting. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. This perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. <coughs> Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. I love how these letters always start off with a greeting. I thank the Lord as I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love for the holy people. And I was thinking how the past two days, uh, I'm, I'm absolutely energized to be here with you, but later this afternoon, I'm going to crash. Because Friday was a long Friday, and Saturday was a long Saturday because of our presbytery. Uh, we had a few of our elders were able to join us for one of the days uh, which was really wonderful. 
but I was there for the full extent of it because as the chaplain of the presbytery, I have to close in prayer. So all these other pastors get to duck out early for their travels. Not so with me. I'm the, I'm the closer. But it was a really wonderful meeting where we got to see new people get ordained. Churches fill their pulpits. We got to see transfers in and people coming under care, a good group of people to come under care. We got to hear about what's going on through world missions and through uh, we had a great challenging from Bonnie Gatchel on how to, as, as a church, support people who are suffering from trauma and just how pervasive traumatic experiences are. And she gave us a good background of what happens physiologically in us during trauma and why so often it takes years to report things later. It's interesting. It was just a wonderful time to be together. And not only that was all the formal things that went on in business, but the informal relationships, seeing everybody, Andrew and Jeremy say hello. Uh, somehow they always seem to manage to walk in together. I don't, I don't know how they do it. But it's really a wonderful time, and it was good to be, it's just good to know that you're not alone. You're not isolated, and that there's 45, 46 other churches, EPC churches, let alone all the other churches in other denominations that are out and about doing the work of the Lord. And we don't always have that bird's eye view, but sometimes we gather together to get a glimpse of what God is doing far and wide. And so I just want to report back to you greetings from our presbytery and uh, just how much you encourage them and how many people actually know about you and what's going on. So um, it's, it's a good thing to be together. So I just wanted to share that with you, that it was a good weekend, long weekend, but our presbytery meeting occurred uh, the past two days. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, as we look for our final time uh, to this letter, we pray that you'll be with us and help us to, again to, to see something new, see something fresh, to be challenged, to be encouraged, to be formed by this beautiful letter from Paul to Philemon. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So for the past two weeks, now three, we've heard and read that. Thanks you, by the way, to the volunteers who volunteer to read the scripture. There's some good names in there, aren't there? There's some good curveball names that, that are a little bit challenging. But for the third week in a row, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, you can't have Romans without Philemon. And I thought I might explain that a little bit more. And so I picked out some passages from Romans that will hopefully guide us in what I'm meaning, but you can't have Romans without Philemon. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 26. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so that as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. We see in this passage the biggest hinge the biggest swing in all of the whole narrative, the whole story of all the collected works of the Bible, hinges on that but now. 
It's the biggest but now in the scriptures that talks about there's now a new way that God's righteousness is shown because Jesus atoned. Jesus went to the cross and he atoned for the sins in the past, the sins in the present, and the sins in the future. Therefore, God's redemptive world is now open. Not just to the chosen people of Abraham, but Abraham's people now just became far and wide because all nations can be adopted into Abraham's bosom. But now, a righteousness has been made known. Skip ahead a couple chapters to Romans 5, 6 through 11. You see that just at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good one, good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since now we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were still God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only in the in this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. And then Romans 8 begins with this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. You can't have Romans without Philemon. You can't have all this great doctrine of Christ coming down and substituting himself in our place of taking on the burdens of the law that we cannot meet, that we are powerless to achieve. We cannot have this great, grandiose doctrine about the Almighty God changing our, our, our cosmic path from death into life without it actually being realized in a small community, in a town where ultimately nobody will know of them if it weren't recorded down and for some reason kept in a rather important book. If, it doesn't, if the rubber doesn't meet the road, all these grand and lofty ideas are weakened or even meaningless. All this talk about Jesus coming, stepping in on our behalf, interceding for us, taking our debt upon himself, taking a debt that he did not earn, he did not owe, and yet paying it in full. So that even, I love the part there where it says, if we are saved through his death, how much more are we alive through his living and his resurrection? This is the reality that has to be true, has to be felt, has to be seen, has to be manifested among us to make these lofty ideas hit the ground and be alive. 
So for our last time to walk through this letter, and I appreciate your patience if some of you are going, really, I didn't know we could do three sermons in a row on Philemon. Also, for those who balk at, at whether you hear Philemon or Philemon, I'm not sure which is the Irish way to say it or which is the English way, or American way to say it. I did a little polling at that Presbytery meeting, and I, I got mixed reviews, but the majority are still saying Philemon. Raise your hand if you're a Philemon. Raise your hand if you're a Philemon. Oh. oh, boy, it's a hard one, isn't it? Can we all just agree that we'll just go with whatever one we say? Whew. Great debates. Look at us. The nations can come together. We can agree. No, it's a wonderful thing to look at this letter again from yet one more last angle that I invite you to join me with. Reviewing this, the main characters, Paul was in prison, and he used to travel around the area of Turkey and Greece and where, where, where Philemon was from and Onesimus was from. But now he's off in Rome in prison, and he comes across Onesimus. He remembers him, sees him. Somehow he gets reconnected with this man who came from the household of Philemon. He came from the household in Colossae, far away, like 1,300 miles. It's pretty far. And this young man comes to Christ becomes a new believer, becomes a new creation because he hears the message of Jesus and says, I want to be a part of that. And through faith, he's sealed by the Holy Spirit, joins the eternal family, has his eternal destiny. He goes from being an enemy of God to a, to a, to a son. He goes from being an en- enemy of, of the church to being a member. He goes from being dead in sin to eternally alive in Christ. But he still had to go back and deal with his issues, didn't he? We talked about that last week, that Onesimus still had to go back and be reconciled because Jesus in Christ is a grand reconciler. We all have been reconciled to God. We all have had that relationship that was divided, mended so that we could return. Not only return so that we can just be, I'm glad I'm out of trouble, but return and be welcomed to the table. We're no longer the awkward guest at the table of God. We're the welcomed guest. We're family. We're the ones that get to do um, like very familial things. I got to do that yesterday and the day before because the host church was Ashland EPC. And I had some friends that wondered why I was acting the way I was acting at the church. Because honestly, I'd worked there for eight, nine years. And in the 10 years that we've been apart from there, I'm still connected with them. Their, their pastor and wife are still friends, so much so that they were here on my first day that I was installed to be your transitional pastor. They're, my kids go down every few months and spend the night there. Um, my, my, my older kids go and are part of their youth group and are on their youth trips. We, we are still a part of their family. So here I am. People know I don't work at Ashland, but I'm wandering around and somebody says they need paper towels and I just go to the paper towel closet and just get new paper towels for the, for the men's bathroom. Somebody needs some help, and I'm like, oh, here, let me get, and I use the punch code to get them into the main office. What was I acting like? Like I belonged there. More than I belonged, I was acting like a son of the church. I was acting like I was, I was in the family. And when we are adopted into the family of God, we have the access. That is why Jesus said, we cry out, Abba, Father. And I know it sounds really weird when we start praying. And somebody, sometimes people want to try to like translate that for us. And it feels a little awkward when we say, pray to, fa- pray to God and say, Daddy. But that intimacy 
that familiarity, that informalness is open to us. And now Onesimus is in that family, but he had to go back and make reparations. He had to go back and make amends. He had to go back to see if Philemon would reconcile him into the church community back home. Paul gave a great mission to Philemon. The mission was to get Philemon to forgive Onesimus and to embrace him as a brother. The first week we took a look at the partnership that Paul appealed to, that partnership that Philemon and he had for the sake of the gospel, that recognition that they are in this together, and that leaning on that relationship, not on an order from a superior, but leaning on that law of love. Philemon, will you do what is right in the spirit, even if it costs you, even if it undermines the culture, even if it undermines society's rules? Will you do what is right by love? Paul asked Philemon to embrace Onesimus in Koinonia and to receive him into that partnership back as a brother and a family member, as an equal. In week two, we took a look at how Onesimus returned to be reconciled, to recognize that the restored relationship to a harmonious state was required. We recognize that this is where the rubber meets the road for, for his perspectives, that he had to go back and, well, put his hand in the life of, of another, put his life in the hand of another. He had to trust that the church might indeed be led by the Spirit, or if not, to at least honor God with taking the result of people in disobedience. And here we come to week three. This letter, you can see, does not have a grand theological argument. It doesn't have a major church theological issue. The first three verses, all the yous are y'alls. Again, in the Greek, there's the different ways that really signify whether you're having a you plural or a you singular. The first three verses are, are y'all, talking to Aphia and Archippus and Philemon. But then in verse 4, he switches to you, singular. You, Philemon. But he writes it to the church, so all the church is going to read the letter. Isn't that kind of fun? No uh, power play there, Paul. little public display of Christian... Uh, Christian discipleship there. But there's no theological argument. It's just personal. It's just reflective. It's just an appeal to receive Onesimus. But we see the gospel being lived out in this letter. Verse 18, verse 17, he said, So if you consider me a partner, Koinonia, welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. Okay, so now we're leveraging it. It's not between just the two of you. It's now between the three of us. I'm interjecting myself, Paul says, into this. And so now it's not just your relationship and your issues. It's ours. If he has done you wrong, which we all know he did, or owes you anything, which we understand that he did, charge it to me. Look at that way that Paul lives out following Christ by injecting himself into the situation which could cost him for his mission, which could cost him his money, time, and resources, could cost him the rejection of maybe there's a disagreement and now we have a church scuffle, 
a church fight. He got involved in the mess, in the muck of their relationship and said, if he owes you anything, let me pay it. If he's wronged you, credit that wrong to me. Take it out on me. Where have we ever heard that before in the Christian story? Yeah. Paul is acting like Jesus. He desires restoration, and he becomes the welcome replacement for Onesimus' judgment and his penalty. The question is always, when somebody has wronged you, who's going to pay for this? When someone has taken something from you or damaged something, who's going to pay for this? If somebody's hurt your feelings or, or ru- ruined your social standings, who's going to pay for this? Because there's always a cost, and we can't just wish it away, can we? We can't just say, hmm, bygones be bygones, let it go. Because even in the very act of saying letting it go, someone's taking it. Someone's putting it on their back. Someone's eating that cost. Now, if we just do it in a way because we're non-confrontational, we're probably not resolving it. We're probably not healing it. If we just wish things away because we're non-confrontational, we're probably just repressing it and avoiding it. I know a fellow who had ADD, and he would get medical bills from knee surgeries, and, and he would take those very important medical bills, and he would put them in the important pile. Now, because of his also processing he would go through that pile twice a year. Now, can you imagine what happens to you if you go through the, 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 the important stack of bills twice a year? No, you can imagine. The hospital's upset. They get this third party involved who likes to make you, give you calls at the office. Your credit rating becomes non-existent. Why? Because the problem themselves, the bills, don't what? They don't go away just because you magically want them to, right? In the same way, in our relationships, sometimes we do eat the offense. We do absorb it. But if we just do it like we're putting it in the, 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 the important pile that we'll get to sometime, it lays there and festers and even grows. But if we're going to eat it, we sometimes have to choose. And maybe it's in a private moment of prayer. Lord, I'm forgiving this person and I'm not holding them to account, and I'm willing to take the offense that they did to me. Forgive them and help them to heal, and Lord, help them not to do it again. But if you do it consciously, and you care for it consciously, you can absorb things and do things. So now Paul is getting in the middle of this, and he's saying, you guys aren't going to be able to resolve this on your own, but I'm going to appeal to our koinonia, our partnership. I'm going to appeal to Christ, and I'm going to appeal to our new brotherhood, our familyhood. The slave is now a member of the family, Philemon. That's fact. So because of that, I'm going to take his debt. In the same way that Jesus came down and found kinship with us because he dwelt among us. He found kinship with us because God came down and took on all that we have that is fully human. He walked with us. He hungered. He thirsted. He was abandoned. He was rejected. He was bruised. He was tempted. He did all that we do. And now he intercedes for us. He intercedes on our behalf before the Father. 
And he sometimes stands in the gap and says, whatever they owe, put it on me. That is our salvation. Therefore, that is how the new community, the new kingdom lives. That uh, God's kingdom in heaven as it is on earth that we pray, this is the reality of it where we take the heavenly ways and actually do it here. But in order to do it, sometimes that costs us to become representatives of Jesus, where we insert ourselves and we have to bear the brunt of the cost. Who will pay for this? Well, Philemon has to pay for it because he has to give up society's expectations. He has to give up the the laws of the land and what is rightly owed him according to law and custom. Onesimus, he had to eat it because he had to go and stand and be honest and deal with what came. But Paul, who was uninvolved, now said, credit my account. Lastly, the church community. That little gathering, because Philemon was a, a, a host and leader in this church, this church much like ours. They had to support this. It's one thing for Philemon to say, this is a brother who's now sitting at the table having communion, meal together. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when you see him there? This weekend I was told a story by one of our new pastors who transferred in about a time at one of his church plants out in Iowa where somebody came up to him because there was... They had regularly had this one homeless man who looked and appeared and smelled like a homeless person and had some um, health issues, mental health issues, where he had conversations in the back corner, not with many other people, just himself. But this new couple came up to him and said, I think you're, there's something broken down in your greeting. And he was like, oh, he's a church planner. You're always like, oh, we new people. We got to make sure we greet them well. And they said, well, there's that one fellow, and he, he kind of doesn't smell very good. Ouch. Do you all see the problem there? But see, Philemon's church had to go, are we going to accept Onesimus or does he smell too bad? Were his crimes too bad? Was his running away or his theft or whatever it was? The fact that, are we going to eat with a former slave? Let alone a runaway slave. You see, all these things, everybody has to participate in the Jesus, in the Jesus way. A word that you're going to hear from me from time to time is that the church has to be cruciform. Cruciform is just a word that talks about something in the shape of the cross. And of course, architecturally, you can have a building that looks like in the shape of the cross, or you can have a rock formation that is cruciform, or you can have a, a splash of art or, or something, something that makes you look and see a cross. But in our lives and in our practice, we have to be cruciform in how we treat outsiders and insiders as we resolve our frustrations with our neighbor. I have had people in the same church tell me that they are unwilling to go to a person and ask for forgiveness or to forgive them because they're just so mad. And if you're unwilling to forgive someone in the Christian family, you are not being what? Cruciform. You're not practicing the way of Jesus. You're not practicing the way of the cross. You see, in Christ we have been received. In Christ we have been welcomed. In Christ, we have been forgiven. In Christ, we have been restored. We have been reconciled. We have been renewed. And we have been repurposed. 
How dare we set up a boundary where someone cannot be received, will not be welcomed. We will question if they're forgiven. We will inhibit them being restored. We will not allow them to be reconciled. We will, we will deny them being renewed, and we will doubt if they could ever be repurposed. And if we do that, we are denying Christ, we are denying the gospel, and we are denying the power of the Holy Spirit among us, and we are denying being a church. Then we are merely a country club. We have now turned a Presbyterian into a Baptist in the back. This is what is at stake. It's so wonderful to hear about Onesimus coming to Christ. And it's so wonderful to hear about Philemon having to restore him. And it's really good to be a, a, a spectator to that. But in the church, we are not spectators. We are participants. And how we welcome the outsider, how we restore the insider, how we lower ourselves and take the place of the humble because of Jesus matters and we have to be cruciform. We have to make these words not just sound good, but they have to be realized. They have to be lived to be true. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And then he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. This is the call on each individual person in this church, but it's more than that. It's not an individual thing. It is a communal thing. God has not only reconciled us, but he's made us the ambassadors of his reconciliation. He's made us the ambassadors, and also he's pulled this team together. If you're new here, if this is your visitor today or in the past few weeks, you are welcome to join this expression of what God is doing. This is not a fraternity or a sorority where we have a, a checklist of whether or not you belong or whether you fit the culture well enough. No, the church is a, like one of the only institutions in the world that is absolutely open. And if God brings you, you are part. Welcome. Believe in Jesus. Build up the unity of the church. Serve and love one another. Be open to, to growing together, which might cause a little bit of friction at times, but let's work it out together. Because in so doing, we become a lighthouse. We become a city on a hill. We become salt that, that preserves. That is what is at stake in Philemon. Will we live it with each other? Will we live it with those who annoy us and rub us the wrong way? Will we live it with those who've offended us? And maybe, maybe they've rightly offended you. Can we restore? Can we reconcile? Can we heal? And can we show it to a world that's just at each other's throats? It's so sad when I see, I, I, for the record, I'm, I'm not that impressed when the world is acting like the world. I get it. I expect it. When those without the Spirit of God filling them and they act poorly, 
when they're wanting to divide and turn tribal, when they're wanting to dehumanize the other tribe because that's how you win. I get it. It makes sense. That's what you do when you don't have a hope, when you don't have Christ. But it breaks my heart when I see the church playing the same game. When we make an enemy out of a sister church just because they're not pure enough for us. When we make an enemy out of a church because they're just kind of aggressive and they fight with everybody. I get it. It's hard to be around them sometimes. Luckily, we're in the middle of that, so we're not on either side, right? Oops. No, it's, it's easy for us to just fall back into old ways, but Christ has called us forth, and Christ renews us, and Christ forgives us. That's why we pray and ask God to forgive us every week, because we need to be regularly restored to the calling that he's put on our lives. He's the one who sends us to go and make disciples of all nations. But remember, he said, I will be with you always. Remember, I'm going to go and sit, go be with the Father, but I'm going to send my spirit to be with you. Spoiler alert, the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. We're not going to be able to be good historic traditional Presbyterians that allow the Holy Spirit to be the, the silent member of the Trinity. Because we need the Spirit. We need the Spirit to live up to the call, the cruciform life that Jesus has called us to live. And we see that in this letter, while there's not a lot of mention to it, there's no way Onesimus goes home, is, rest, is reconciled, restored, and accepted in the community without the work of the Spirit. Because the culture was 100% against this letter's goal. But as legend and lore have it, this letter might be in the scriptures because Onesimus was restored. This letter might be saved in the canon because Onesimus was not only restored, but he was allowed to serve in the church. It might, we might have this letter because Onesimus found it to be precious and dear to him because it was such an important letter in a moment in his life that he kept it around and got it distributed because legend and lore has it we do know at some point that there was a bishop of Ephesus named Onesimus who had been a former runaway slave who was now forgiven and brought in and now was exalted up to the point of being such a magnificent godly man that he was the bishop of the city of Ephesus. Ephesus, by the way, had the oldest of all the early churches that we know from the Bible. It was the one that lasted the longest. It lasted 600 years. Look at the beauty of God's grace on people's lives when we live this way. Someone who is a, a, a villain, a felon, a criminal, could be exalted up to be a pinnacle leader, exalter of God's grace and, 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 and mercies. And we know of it because God's people acted like Christ. And they embraced the cruciform way of community and life. Amen? Lord, I pray that you will help us to be bearers of grace and mercy. That you will help us to be like all these people in this letter. Help us to be Paul where we need to get in the middle of things and ask people to, to put the burden on us. Help us to be like Onesimus where we get to go back and make amends for when we've done wrong. Give us the insights for who we need to go back to and give us the courage through your spirit to put ourselves ultimately in your hands. And Lord, give us the courage to be Philemon, to be willing to forgive, to be willing to eat the cost 
and to welcome the offender. Not only back, but back and elevated, back and adopted, back and in the family. And Lord, may we be the church that supported this in such a way that it lasted and we hear the tales for years and years to come. We pray that we would be that church, Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen.